Welcome to Sunnyside. Welcome to Good Friday with us. Uh, so today we're going to look at the death of Jesus. Uh, this is a moment for us as Christians to remember, to reflect, uh, to look back at what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and we're, we're looking at this through the lens of where we've been as campuses the last few weeks, and that's through dangerous prayers. And what Jesus says and what we look at tonight is one of those things that, it, like, I read it and I don't want it to get any closer to me because it's not a fun thing. Is difficult. And so what Jesus says tonight hits all of us. It's one of those things that you come to church, and this is going to apply to everyone, whether you're a preschooler, an atheist, an agnostic, whatever. All of this is going to apply to us in some way. Like, we're all walking out of here being uh, spoken to tonight by Jesus. Uh, and and it's, it's a dangerous prayer. That's what we're looking at. Uh, one of the kids here, I don't know if he's here right now. Yeah, he's over there. Cool. Uh, a little while ago, they were going to pray for grandma because she was going in for surgery. Uh, and Josh over here decided, you know what? Prayer is dangerous. He goes into his room. He gets his Spider-Man helmet. He puts it back on. And he comes back to pray with the family because tonight we're looking at a dangerous prayer. You don't need to get your own helmet. Jesus has it for us. Uh, but we're going to look at what Jesus has to say. This is the night that he was betrayed. This is Jesus's last night with his guys. This is in Luke chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 39. Luke says this, it says, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, and this is the dangerous prayer. This is what we're going to look at tonight. This is the thing that we hit this, and I don't want this to get any closer to me. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to relive the times that I have crumbled in front of this. I don't want anything to do with this. Jesus says, pray that you will not give in to temptation. There's the word, temptation. Pray that you and I will not give in to temptation. And the thing about temptation is it's different for every single one of us, except for the fact that it applies to all of us. What weighs one person's temptation is another person's victory. What is one person's thing that it has gotten them in so much trouble is to another person, it's the thing like that doesn't even bother me at all. Like that's not my thing. Some of you, you don't have to admit it, but your 15,000 pairs of shoes in your closet will admit it for you. Some of you are shopaholics, all right? This is me without restraint. Like, I love buying clothes as long as they're under a certain amount. Like, Ross, that is my, that, that's the problem for me. I walk in there, I'm walking out with stuff that I don't even need. Like, I'll hold up shirts to Anna. She says, you already have that and that in multiple colors. Same pattern. <laughs> And for some of you, like, that's our thing, shopaholics. We just buy too much. I got a buddy of mine who bought a jet ski in his sleep, right? Like, that's a level beyond what we can, like, brother needs help, okay? He was researching it for somebody. He was laying in bed. He's got his iPad out, and he fell asleep and hit by. Like, that, that was just his thing. So he woke up. He looked at his statement. He's like, whoa, that's a lot of money that I paid for in my sleep. So he canceled the transaction and everything. For some of you, that's your thing. For others of you, the temptation is, I'm gonna spend no money ever. I'm gonna do everything I can to avoid this at all possible. And as a result, you end up making life really, really difficult for other people. Your temptation is that you're tough, you're difficult. You're tight to a fault. There's a pastor in, uh, in a Midwest city who, this is like 100 years ago, so cars are becoming a thing. And he saw people driving around cars, and he's like, you know, that is worldly. As Christians, we don't drive cars. So he would walk to church every morning, which is fine if you live in Pismo. He lived in Chicago. Like, I don't ever want to do that. Not in the winter when it's this many degrees, and not in the summer where it's like humid central. Like, no, not at all. Don't want that. 
The thing is, he also made his wife walk to church. Because if he's not going to sin, he doesn't want her to sin. And the day that he died, the leaders from his church bought his wife a car, right? Like, (laughs) we can agree that's a good thing. Again, it's temptation. Like, one person says, I'm never going to buy anything because that's worldly. The other person buys a jet ski in his sleep. Like, for all of us, this is a thing. It hits us different ways. And temptation means something to each of us. And we're going to look at how Jesus engages temptation. And when Jesus does this, he steps into it as everyone who follows him runs away. As everyone else who's close to him is totally MIA in this situation tonight. And what we're going to see is we're going to see a demonstration of the gospel. We're going to get to see a demonstration of the good news that God saves people. Because the first thing that happens right here is Jesus walks away. This is verse 41. Walks away about a a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. This is Jesus who's doing the work here. This is Jesus who's praying. Religion will teach you and me that if we do these things enough times, eventually we're going to get up to heaven. But the cross shows us that Jesus paid everything. Jesus did everything and then invites you and me into relationship with him because of what he has done. And so the first temptation that we're going to look at tonight is the fact that I don't need to change anything about my life. I don't need to change anything about my life. Jesus did everything, but I need to do absolutely nothing. And the disciples do this. So Jesus is off praying with such agony that that sweats, that sweat is falling to his face like great drops of blood. And at last, he stood up again and he returned to the disciples only to find them asleep and exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. The 11 fall asleep. Jesus is there. He says, I'm going to go pray. I want you to pray with me. He leaves them. And they did what all of us would have done, right? It's dark. It's probably warm because they're in the desert. They've just eaten a big meal. It's quiet and it is late. I'm falling asleep. And that's the thing. That's what comes naturally for us. And the idea for us that, that man, if you're here and you're on the fence, should I follow Jesus or not? And somebody told you that there's nothing about it. All you have to do is say this prayer. That's a lie because Jesus challenges us to face death every day and to give our old life to him and take on his new life. The first temptation is that I don't have to change anything. And the temptation to to, to believe this means nothing. For us to follow Jesus means that everything about our old life dies because we're taking on his new life in place of ours. The second temptation follows. But after Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought swords. And one of them struck that, the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. The second temptation that we're going to see tonight is the idea that you and I always have to be in control. The second temptation is that we're always in control. And if you're thinking, you know what, if I saw Jesus raise someone from the dead, I wouldn't have to be in control anymore. I would trust Jesus with everything. And the thing is is that both men who failed in this situation, both groups of men who failed in this situation saw everything. 
They saw the water turned into wine. They saw the stadium fed with a little kid's lunch. They saw dead people come back to life. They saw Jesus walk into the ER of a hospital, tell everybody you're not sick anymore, and they all walk out together. They saw everything, but their issue was control. They could tell you the stats. They could tell you the verse. They could tell you the story. But in their hearts, they chose money, and they chose their own agenda over following Jesus. One of them did it for 30 pieces of silver. The other group took out their swords because they're going to see what they want to see happen. They want to see that done to Jesus. They want Jesus to kick Rome out. They want Jesus to pay for the things that he had done the way that Jesus had rubbed people the wrong way. They decided this is where control stops. Or this is where control comes ahead. This is where Jesus is going to do things my way. I think the thing for us to remember in this Because if a group our size, there are multiple people in here where life is not going the way that we want it to right now. If God answered our prayers, we'd be in a different situation doing different things around different people, but he hasn't yet, so where's God? This is Good Friday. This is the day where where God takes the worst evil possible and turns it into the greatest good in all history, which shows that he has a plan that's bigger than ours. He has things that he sees about us, through us, around us, in us that we don't yet know. And so just like Jesus is saying, not my will, but yours be done, we can echo the same thing. We can step out of being in control. We can give up our preferences. We can give up the way that we think that things should be and follow Jesus in them, even when it doesn't seem like it's gonna go well at all because we can trust that Jesus is always in control. The third temptation This is another one that's not fun to talk about. This is one that, you know, that hits some of us close to home. It's the idea that, you know what, it's just this one time. It's just this one time. That's the only time that it's going to happen. It's just this one time. Verse 54, so they arrested him and they led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed Peter in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus's followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Man, it starts with one small denial. It's the lowest person who could be there. It's a young woman. And she goes up to Peter and says, you're with Jesus, right? And it's a simple denial right there. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to take her word for it. Nobody's going to believe her. Yeah, I don't know Jesus. And that opens the door. That opens the door to the next denial. That opens the door to the, to the one time turning into a habit. And that's what happens. The groups of people get bigger and bigger. And Peter continues to say, no, I don't know. I don't know who Jesus is. And yielding to temptation for all of us opens the door to sin. And when sin walks through the door of our life, it holds the door for destruction. It holds the door for addiction. It holds the door for broken relationships. It holds the door for areas of our life to die off. It holds the door for these things. Because sin takes us farther than we want to go, holds us longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to give. 
in this culture, in this moment, it starts with the least believable, least threatening person at the whole event. And she's able to turn Peter like that. And after that, it only gets bigger and bigger because one of us, a normal person like us, yielded to temptation. A person who saw Jesus talk, a person who understood the things that he was talking about, understood the kingdom he was trying to build. The guy who, again, saw the dead people come back to life. It was that easy to fall to temptation. It was that easy to see everything fall apart. But at the cross, Jesus destroyed the power of temptation and sin in our lives. Because this was always God's plan. The way that humanity crumbled on this night was absolutely God's plan. Because even in our weakness, even in our crumbling, God sees each and every person in this story, in each and every person in this room, and he looks at you and me with eyes of love, with the heart of love with the desire to have a relationship with us. But with God's eyes where he looks at you and me, that means that he also sees that you and I are sinners. And in our life, we have sin that separates us from God. Not because God looks at us in our performance and says, you know what, done. Don't want you around me anymore. But because God can't be in the presence of sin. So you have a loving God. You have a sinful people. They cannot be together. And so God moves into action. Because of the severity of our sin, we had pushed ourselves away from our holy God. And God sends Jesus into the world. Jesus came on a mission from God the Father to pay his life to cover the sins that you and I would commit across our entire life. And so Jesus is put on trial. It's a fake trial. And they sentence him to death. Death by execution on a Roman cross. At this point, the Romans and took the cross, which is invented by the Persians, and they perfected it. They made it the type of thing that would excruciatingly kill rebels. And so Jesus was crucified as a rebel. Luke 23, 44 to 46, it says this. It says, by this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. This is what separated a holy God from an unholy people. This is the mission of why Jesus came, was to make a way for unholy people like you and me to have a relationship with the holy God who loves us and put this whole thing into motion, knowing how frail you and I are, knowing how easy it is for us to be tempted. God was on the move. God has a plan. And then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with that, he breathed his last. But it wasn't just a death. It was a defeat. Because in his death, Jesus defeated temptation for us because of us and to establish a relationship with us. Jesus defeated temptation for us. The key word there right there is substitution. That Jesus hung on a cross to pay for our sins because of everything that we've done, because of the holy God against whom we have sinned. The penalty is death, and Jesus says, I'm going to pay it. This isn't something he got backed into. This was something that he came onto the earth with the plan that he's going to give his life as a ransom for many, even in Fresno in 2021. He's giving his life for us. It's substitution. He defeated temptation for us. Jesus defeated temptation for us because of us. This is the second part. Jesus' substitution atoned for the wrath of God that you and I had earned, that you and I had worked towards our entire life. There's a guy who wrote a couple years later after this that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, for us, we work at sin and we get paid in death, physical death, spiritual death, relational death, financial death. 
roll down the adjectives death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus pays that. Jesus absorbs the wrath of God who's not angry, but he's holy. And he sees people like you and me living in sin. And God says, I'm gonna cover their sin with my perfection so they could have a relationship with me. So it's, it's, it's temptation. He's defeating temptation for us. He's defeating temptation because of us. And he's defeating temptation for a relationship with us. This explains God's love and desire for you and me. That this whole thing started because God is a God who is after his own glory. And what brings God glory is people like us deciding to follow Jesus. To decide, God's not gonna make our decisions for us. Like that's always the question. If God really loved everybody, why wouldn't he just like take sin out of the world right away? One, because we wouldn't be here tomorrow, right? Like we'd be gone, because <laughs> we're sinners. Two is because God receives glory as people decide to follow him. That's the point. Jesus defeats temptation for us because of us and for a relationship with us. And Good Friday is good today because of what it communicates about our God. When we were far from him, he ran after us. When we were lost in sin, he gave his life for us. It's the miracle of the cross. It's the invitation from a holy, perfect, righteous God extended towards people like us for relationship. And that's what we remember today. That's what we look back on. That's what we celebrate and commemorate today on Good Friday. Let's stand and pray.